Welcome to Inspiring Legal, the podcast for in-house legal. Get insights, learn from peers, life lessons from some of the most influential GCs. If it's related to in-house legal, we cover it. For more inspiration, go to openly.com slash community. Welcome to another inspiring legal episode. So my name is Stine, I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Martin. I'll let him introduce himself in a second. But what we're going to be talking today about is something about compliance and not being afraid of failure. Well, how do those two things connect? Well, that is what we'll be talking to Martin about today. Welcome, Martin. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Stine. So, Martin, for the listeners out there that don't know you, could you maybe just give them a little flavor as to who you are and your background? Absolutely, uh, I can. I can do that. Um, uh, well, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a father. I have three kids um, and and a wife, uh, and uh, and I love to ride on my my bikes. Uh, so I think that that's important for me to start with because that's that's probably who I really am. Um, but professionally, of course, I'm um, I'm today uh, you know um, head of compliance for a. Uh, a large global uh, Swedish engineering company called Sandvik. Uh, and uh, I have a, a legal background uh, and have worked uh, now, what, more than 15 years or so in, I, I guess, mainly large corporates. Um, before Sandvik, it was uh, Falk. So uh, everyone knows Falk in Denmark, at least. Um, emergency healthcare company. Uh, and before that, around eight years in, uh, in Maersk. Another Danish conglomerate with a, a presence all over the world, the, the container shipping logistics uh, business there. So, um, so and and I've, I've you know background wise, I've gone from working uh, with actually negotiating contracts and uh, being a lawyer uh, and legal work in in house um, uh, to slowly transitioning as many do into compliance. Um, and working now, have, have now worked with compliance for roughly 10 years. So Martin, I know you from LinkedIn. I've seen a lot of your posts. You're very good at sharing, um, not only sharing your bike rides, um, but also sharing wins, struggles, challenges. So, so in, in that regard, you've always been very open about giving to others. So when you and I started talking, uh, we started talking about compliance and building out a compliance framework for companies, big companies, for example. And at that point, I remember you saying, well, if you want to build really good compliance programs, you have to be open to failure. And for me, that was, um, I agree, but, but failure and compliance and being open to failure are two things that normally don't go hand in hand. So I think the people out there would love to hear some of your stories, some of your learnings. So could you maybe give a little insight into why you believe that failure and compliance is, well, a good thing? 
Yeah, I, I can absolutely do that, and it's not. It's, 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 don't it should not sound as if you know I just you know uh, go half half uh, way into my things. Of course, uh, uh, with a legal background, we have our methods. So so I think we are everyone who works within this field uh, are definitely capable of of doing so. Um, I think for me the the failure part is um, it resonates quite clearly to me because it's I think it's important that you build a comfort in your team. Uh, and your teams with your employees, uh, with your talents, that 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 you don't have this like no failure culture. I think that this, you know, it's um, it can be a little bit. It can literally lock people down a little bit. And 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 I have actually, you know, if I have to take one example from my my very early on days uh, working in in mask, um, actually in a in an area where we were outside of, uh, we were in the legal space. We were not in compliance. Uh, but I had to pitch something for for the for the um, for the management uh, a project. Uh, I did that; it completely failed. I, I pitched in the wrong way. I probably used the wrong arguments. Uh, you know, even though I felt I was uh, like overly prepared, um, and that in that at that time it resulted in me actually not giving being given a chance to then do it again until like a year later. And then it was actually then a success, and we could uh, do the project. But um, you know that that made me kind of feel like okay, that's you know you really don't get a lot of chances uh, at that at that point in time. Um, and then as a, as I've moved up uh, in my career, um, I've I've seen it over and over again that that um, that, that, that at least uh, sometimes there's this uh, this. Um, I guess general respect or fear that you know if you don't do it right the first time you know then you shouldn't do it, um, and I think that that's unfortunate because I think that it will uh, it you know it doesn't really uh, energize anyone or gives any motivation to anyone if you go in and you just get hit, for then to come back and sit at your desk and th- and then sit to and grumble over like why did it go wrong. Um, I think that I think that, that that's quite important to me, and I th- I've seen it also in you know my in a, my, my later positions. Many of these situations, I have many failures, uh, you know, at least where I go in, you know, and and uh, maybe I've uh, discussed a a project or a, a pitch with my team with everyone, and then I go in, and then it should have been forty percent different. Uh, but you learn from that, you become stronger from that, um, and I think it's important to talk about it because. Uh, if I don't talk about it, and if I don't, um, you know, uh, grab my employees, if if they face this type of dilemma in in, in my in my in my compliance uh, function today, um, they're left, to, you know, on their own to deal with that, and I don't think that that's fair. I think that it's um, it's also part of my leadership uh, task to um, to try and and open this up a little bit and and talk about it as something that is. It's okay, um, and I, I kind of hate the word failure. Uh, I, I prefer to talk about learnings because you you kind of get something out of it. You you learn something, you reflect on it, and then you come out actually stronger in in the end. So um, so so that's that's kind of how I I, I try to see it. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, we've we've recently done a, a tech development uh, that that we I've also told you a little bit about it before. Uh, where where we did one development, we we were very very positive. We we developed it in a system in eight weeks, 
we did use a technology that we did, you know, that was not maybe fully, you know, suited for that purpose, but uh, but that was for for some strategic business reasons. Um, and uh, the day before, we had to scrap it because it could not live up to the data privacy uh, requirements. Um, and we uh, data privacy is within my function, so I couldn't really approve it, right? Because then then you know then my function would not be following what we are supposed to follow. Um, and immediately after, the first immediate reaction was uh, because it was taking a chance in the first place. It was like you have failed. So you have to failed in this, you know, and actually I had to really walk around in all the corridors and talk about, no, no, this is not failure. Uh, this is a learning. We have now learned that this tool we, or this technology we chose for strategic reasons were not suited for what we wanted to do. You, so we have now learned we should have taken the other technology that we knew, knew of, uh, but we didn't choose that because uh, maybe a tiny bit more expensive for many reasons. We should have taken that one. Now we will take that one and do it over again, and then we'll be successful. It's a learning piece to to that. And I think we're all learning, right? Like that's a part of growing up. It's about developing yourself personally, but also professionally. Mm. And what you often remember are the failures you made along the way, mm. and where you're definitely remembering. I'm not gonna do that one again because I learned from it. Um, but what I also think is really interesting in, in a conversation you and I have had is around maybe having some presumptions, uh, which we're good at, especially in legal, um, that might not really, well, live up to the reality. Um, so if, if I'm, if I'm going to be a little bold and, and I didn't mm -hmm. ask you before, but Martin, you told me this great example of building a um, training program for one of your organizations that, well, didn't really live up to the expectations you had and then the learnings you got from it. Could you maybe share a little bit about that one? Because I think that is very much what we in, in the legal community and in-house needs to be better at understanding our audience our customers, our clients, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, but I think it's, it's, it's uh, and that, uh, honestly, again, that was a learning for me too. You know, uh, uh, here we are talking about uh, a healthcare emergency company where if, if you as a compliance person, that's also quite important when you're talking about uh, failures or, or learnings is that it actually, well, it, it, this, it does actually require you to step out of your comfort zone. It also requires you to, to listen to the to the business side, and actually go and meet the business, and and um, and you know it's easy to have perceptions. It's the easiest to just put up a an assumption that you know they don't do the training because they don't like the training, or they don't do the training because it's it's forty minutes. That's maybe that's a bit too long, but anyway, you know maybe even less nowadays. But but still, they don't do the training. Um, and and uh, in 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 uh, when I worked in uh, in Falk, uh, I, I I quite often went out with the paramedics on the ambulances on shifts to uh, not well to learn something actually to to learn about how it is to be a paramedic, and also to kind of get uh, under the skin of you know you know what we're doing every day and in in Falk, we are saving lives right we save life every every minute uh, so it's a super important task. Um, and we were sitting there in one in the station uh, for these this twelve hour shift uh, between uh, some of these calls, and uh, there's this 
fairly old, not to criticize anyone, but it was quite a fairly old laptop in the corner of that room. And then the, we were sitting in these leather chairs and, uh, and I asked the guy who was, I was writing with, like, what is this uh, laptop uh, for? And he said, this is for e-learning. And I said, okay, but when do you do e-learning? Um, yeah, but we do that in between calls. And when you sit there with a paramedic in a leather chair in a station where you get that really under the skin feeling that, you know, within minutes you have to be in that ambulance and leave that station, then doing a 40 minute e-learning become almost impossible to do. Um, so the reality was actually that their bad training scores was not a result of them ignoring compliance or don't feel that it was relevant. Um, but more the fact that they were focused on their main task, saving lives in their setting. Um, so, so that was quite an interesting learning. And when, when, when before I went out to the ambulances, uh, the perception was a little bit again um, from, from the central point where I was sitting too, uh, that, that they were way behind on e-learning because uh, they didn't care about it. That was the perception. So, so you can say that was one piece. And then the second piece was that uh, when you have an organization, you have different people, you have different risk exposures. And uh, a paramedic who sits in an ambulance might not have the same risks, uh, sorry to say, as a white collar person sitting, uh, approving huge expenses and can sign contracts. Um, so when you're talking about a huge, uh, you know, uh, e-learning program, you probably should dare to differentiate a little bit and say, hey, the paramedic, he needs to know only a few things, but the other guy or the other person in, in, in the organization needs to know a bit more. So they will get a bit more, they will get a bit less. Then they actually would be able to fit it into their uh, station schedule and do it between calls. But, but the, the challenge was no one had really actually done that, asked that question or been, or been sitting in that leather chair talking to that paramedic. And I think that was, again, super, a super learning. Uh, you know, in Mask, I went with the container vessels. I've been at the, in, in, in the harbors. I typically always do that because I think for me, compliance is not compliance. I'm not there for compliance. I'm there for the business. I want to understand the business, be part of the business and live with the business. That's, uh, that's important. But isn't that kind of the core of if you're sitting and having the responsibility for compliance, you can't really do compliance if you don't understand your business. Uh, if I fully agree, uh, but I think it's uh, to be, you know, to be uh, maybe a little bit bold myself here, then then you can say when what I just experienced also when I come into organizations and take over teams is that um, that quite often I experience uh, employees who have been sitting in a, in a headquarter function for five, six years, never been out in, 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 a, in a sales area or uh, in, a, in a factory or a production site. Um, and, and then, you know, um, then I immediately push them out. You know, you have to go out and, and see that. But but you could say it's it's uh, it's easier said than done, I think, because also on the other hand, we cannot go there constantly because then they also have to do some work out there. They can't just entertain everyone from compliance and legal. But but um, but of course, it's a balance. But but I think uh, it and it doesn't have to be um, overly complicated, but it shows a bit of you, you step out in their territory. You sh you come out, you listen to, to how they use the machines, it, it means quite a lot. 
what it also does, in my experience, is that it builds credibility. So mm. when you're sitting around the management table and you are talking about risks, you're talking about risk mitigate, mitigation, well, sometimes you might be sitting across a CFO that don't really understand why this is such a big risk. Or the CEO, they're sitting and, of course, wanting to mitigate, but not really sure what it is that we're talking about. So when you're all of a sudden making it extremely concrete and saying, if we on just saying something right uh, on the vessels are doing A, B and C and going into the harbors in this way, the likelihood of these great risks occurring are just so much bigger than what you or me are sitting here are talking about, because this is how it works in reality. And when you're making it that specific to the business, it becomes very difficult to, to be, uh, well, in disagreement with, because mm. you know the business. Wow. You know where the pains are. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, in my current role today, uh, I, you know, I've had the, the, the overall responsibility for the entire program since I joined. Uh, but since August, I've had a second role of being uh, heading up compliance temporarily for our mining uh, business area. Um, and again, then, then you go into a mine, you go, uh, uh, then you go underground the, on the in a coal mine with some, some business people and some legal people and so on. Uh, and you see how the equipment works. You understand how they operate in South Africa. You understand suddenly how they operate in China or, or somewhere in Congo, um, and and then it's it's all it, everything becomes much easier because uh, you you don't have to then do a, like a hundred percent model. You can do twenty percent there where it really matters, and then you can ease up a little bit where the risks are less. Um, but you can't really do that if you haven't really gotten that flavor to to the business you're in. Um, then you would do a little bit uh, more generic approach, I would say. So Martin, you've been working at, well, some huge enterprises. Uh, we're talking, well, 100,000 employees maybe uh, in, in, in Maersk, right? Sandvik, mm. uh, as I understand it, also have a lot of employees. So if we have a listener sitting out there, sitting with the responsibility for compliance, maybe not in such a big organization as you have been in or are in, what would be your kind of like best tip or best advice for that person to build a successful compliance program? Yeah, okay, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tricky question. I think that, um, I, I, you know, the immediate thought I have is that it's actually what we just talked about. Go out there meet the business, meet the people. Um, you know, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a shift happening also in compliance. You know, that we, 10 years ago, we, we focused very much on uh, the, the, the pillars of the DOJ and, and ticking off everything and do we do training, do we do risks uh, assessments, all these things. Um, do we have a code of conduct? Uh, do people know where it is and so on? That was pretty much the, the, typically the model uh, five, 10 years ago. Where we're shifting now is actually what I believe is more important is that 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 you have a flavor of the front line and and the, and the people in your organization uh, because they are compliance. Compliance is not a central function. That means um, it's it's about being out there and have the conversations uh, in a, in a, in a in a common language 
with everyone and show an interest because then you get something back and then that gives you comfort whether you are on a good side or maybe need improvements in, in certain areas. I think that that is for me, it's, that's the integrated compliance program today. Um, it's not enough just to focus on on all these documents. And, I w you know, if someone asked me, you know, if you have to prioritize getting a policy 5% better, so I feel absolutely safe in my policy, or spending that time at the front line, I would choose the front line. So being on the front line, understanding the business, is it also then about delegating responsibilities and being okay with giving up control? It, it kind of is, right? Because you can't get, you can't have control over everything, right? You need to, in, in our organization today, we are what uh, around 50,000 50, employees globally in a heavily decentralized organization. Um, and approximately, well, well, I guess between uh, a little bit above 300 compliance uh, resources, full-time, part-time globally. Um, I need to rely on, I need to rely on the VP of sales in a region to have the right mindset. So when something pops up that looks odd, that it's not being stopped by compliance, but it's being raised by the VP of sales or some, some people in, in his organization or her organization. Uh, because I can, compliance cannot be all over the place. So if they have comfort, if they have seen us and they see, and I see that actually, that um, if they see that we can speak a common language and we interest, we are interested in their areas and so on, and we go around and we know uh, are part of like, let's say our, our current customer days where all our customers come and so on, and we care about meeting our customers as, as, a, as, a, as a compliance function, um, they, they kind of have a, some, a tiny bit more attention to these situations and they will raise it, even if they have no clue, but it, you know, okay, this, I don't know, I'm not really sure, then they will raise it. Um, I think that's, that's the front, that's the, for me is where you get most value because you can't be all over the place and you can't, you can't sit, you know, you can put as many internal controls up and you can do as much internal audit you want, but, but uh, you will not catch it all if, um, if you, you need to rely on, on, on creating a culture of uh, transparency, uh, being open. Uh, and and again, back to failure, that it's okay to ask the questions. If there's no wrong answer, uh, questions, you can just bring it up and then we find a good solution uh, to it. So today, and maybe also not in the very far future, compliance is not a function, it's a culture. It's a mindset. I think it, it should always already be that today. Actually, I think it it is. Well, I think at least that's how I operate. Is you know, it's 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 literally it is a mindset. It's a culture. It's it's a it's a thing that kind of goes into everything. Whether it's a, a, a leadership development program, or it's hiring new executives, or it's uh, you know doing sales training, or it's uh, anything that you do, you, you kind of have to. It's about giving them some tools and uh, comfort that that uh, that they can spot things that might be a little bit odd and then also being comfortable that they can then bring it to their sidekick or to the clear, uh, closest person that they know in the organization who might be able to help them or direct them in the in the right place um so i would say that that's kind of at least the the, the thinking today i think in fact we we did an enormous uh, uh, 
project around creating culture, a new culture. Uh, and uh, our, our back then our communication team, branding team were like excellent in creating uh, taglines like uh, how you, uh, who you are is how you act. Uh, and you can say that's again back to just showing employees like before you take a decision, think about how it can look or how people will see it. If you just do that, that's a good start. So the future for you and and where you're going, well, where do you see that going? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, as uh, you know, as um, for now, I'm at Sandvik. I've I've resigned my position at Sandvik back in October, uh, and. Um, I think I, I probably have some new exciting stuff coming up very soon. I can I can reveal, but but unfortunately not today. Um, but um, but I'm also you know I'm I'm also expanding very much my my horizon within the whole uh, legal tech space and technology space. Uh, it, it's it's a big part of of the program we have at Sandvik today about applying uh, new types of technologies to automate and 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 uh, uh, digitalize uh, the pro compliance program as much as you can. Uh, and, and I'm not meaning, uh, you know, uh, using code in an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, true compliance technology uh, development. Um, and and um, I think that that is a that's a that's a way I will uh, I will focus very much in the future, too. So what you're also saying is that scaling privacy and, and compliance for as how you see it will also be through tools. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, whether it's privacy or uh, third parties, uh, it, that, that's obvious. It, it, you know, it, it, it has to go through tools. Uh, you create the, the transparency, uh, the oversight. You, you suddenly have, have the data you, to show. Uh, it gives you the comfort. That gives you a bit of control uh, if, you, if you are talking about the need of control. Um, so, so I think that... Uh, we have a long way to go uh, looking at compliance programs in general they are very manual uh, very little technology quite often you know the old players uh, you know uh, of of you know more like five ten year old technology uh, we need to new players in we need to also dare to take chances uh, on new technology i think that that's where we need to go martin you are for me always writing great content on LinkedIn. You're always very open about sharing. Um, so for the listeners out there, I can recommend if you're working within compliance, well, follow Martin on LinkedIn. He's posting and, and writing good uh, stories, both from his personal life, but also from his professional life. Martin, where do you get your inspiration from? Who, who are you following? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, actually, I think I get a lot of uh, inspiration from, uh, uh, you know, actually a, a handful of CEOs around in some of the Danish companies like uh, Jakob Orup in uh, in uh, in ISS, uh, for example, as as a or, or Carsten Ingris in in Danske Bank, who who have stepped up a little bit and and literally shown their their personalities through uh, through their posts, but also showing uh, vulnerability, uh, transparency, and, 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 you know, literally honestly uh, sharing uh, uh, difficult times. 
uh, on, on social media, um, kind of demystifying uh, the business uh, environment, uh, but also their role as CEOs. And I, I find that actually quite uh, inspiring. Um, uh, so I think that that's probably where I get I get my inspiration uh, my inspiration from. And then I think it's also a matter of I had a I've had a CEO uh, so sorry CFO back in in Mask uh, in my early days who who's really good at at you know telling uh, or learning uh, uh, people uh, employees things about you know how you promote yourself how you how you show that you could do good things, um, which I think is positive. Um, and the same come from when I lived and, and, and worked in out of out of Houston from Ask uh, uh, later, is that here I again learned from the culture side that, you know, we can sometimes be um, a little bit closed uh, in the Nordics. Uh, we don't, we're, we're not really comfortable with saying we've done something good. Um, so I, you know, and that's, that that I've tried to take a, literally take it away, you know, and say that I don't want, you know, I find it really inspiring and it's positive, gives you energy, um, and it it also creates energy for your employees and for the company and how the company is seen. Um, so why not talk about the positive stuffs? So um, so like with Carsten and uh, and Jakob here for for those two great Danish companies, um, I just try. Uh, in my small, humble way to do a little bit the same. So on that inspiring note, Martin, thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure having you and we will be looking forward to following your adventure, both on LinkedIn and well, around. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you very much for having me and have a great day. Thank you so much for listening in to Inspiring Legal. Remember to subscribe. And if you want more information, you can always go to openly.com community. That was openly.com community.